Hi, I'm your host Satwan, and welcome to this episode with Dan Moshkovich from Chargeflow. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, or get the PDF transcript, please either click the link in the show notes, or visit thepaymentsshow.substack.com. Enjoy the show. Dan, welcome to The Payment Show. Thank you for having me. Fantastic to see you. Hope you're ready to go. Absolutely. Where are you Let's joining from today? I'm joining from sunny Toronto. Good stuff. And you're a local from, from Toronto? I was actually born in Tel Aviv, and, but I moved here as a child and grew up here. So I've been here since. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining. Really excited to, to go through your company and its offerings. I'm going to give you an introduction and we'll take it from there. So Dan, you're the Vice President of Marketing at Chargeflow. And very simply, Chargeflow helps e-commerce brands recover chargebacks automatically through AI and, and software mainly. And I always like to start the show with some stats. There's some pretty shocking ones here for this episode. So according to your internal data, eight out of 10 chargebacks are first party fraud, which means friendly fraud, and the trend's getting worse. And just to back that up with some stats from Visa, found that nearly one in five consumers who filed a chargeback have committed first party fraud. Losses from friendly fraud totals over 25 billion a year. So there are some crazy stats. And, and thankfully with your solution, you know, you're offering some great ROI to your customers who need to win those chargeback disputes. So things like four times ROI, industry leading win rates. So a lot to talk about there. So first of all, just like to hand it over to you if you can give an intro to your company and how I've set the scene there and how you're addressing it. Sure, absolutely. So Chargeflow, as, as you mentioned, is a solution for e-commerce merchants that helps them mitigate a lot of the problems that arise from chargebacks. It's not just the lost revenue that's associated with that. That's something that a lot of customers overlook is also the the overhead that's required to to fight to collect the the, the required information that's needed for a successful dispute. So I think we did some very basic research and something like one man hour of labor to collect all the required evidence that's needed for the financial institutions in order for them to rule in the merchant's favor. So you're losing the product. The, the the revenue and the overhead that's that's uh, also becoming a major problem. So if you think about that, if you have like a thousand chargebacks that you're planning on 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 disputing per month, that's close to a thousand man hours of work that you have to put into it, and and it's becoming a, a major issue for for especially some of these larger merchants that process a lot of uh, revenue and a lot of transactions and even the smaller ones that 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 we you know we we service it's they don't have the capacity they don't have internal teams to to handle all this all this work so our solution is 100% automated. We do all the work for them. We submit everything for them, and we're able to do it because we enrich all the all the the evidence using third-party signals and additional data. We're able to achieve a much higher win rate than the merchant would on their own. And in addition, they don't have to do anything. So it's a it's a win-win for them and and for us as well. So we're we're happy to service basically anyone who has these chargeback problems, which is, as you mentioned, quite a lot of uh, merchants, if not everyone. Yeah, sure. I wanted to explain 
to the audience the kind of problems we're talking about because on the face of it, I like, before I got into this game, I like many people, I had heard of friendly fraud or people committing fraud like that, but never really thought much of it. But I didn't realize quite how big the problem was. You know, it's 80-20 almost. 20% is real <laughs> fraud and 80% is friendly. So even though we accept that, well, let's look at why that 80% is there. And I'm sure you can expand on some of these points. And I got these from your State of Chargebacks report 2024. So anyone listening, I'd highly recommend that you go to the Chargeback website to download it. So, so the five or six sort of key areas that were mentioned, and I just want to pick on a few. So reason codes for chargebacks and the trends for different industries and also the transaction values as well combined with how why it's so important for businesses to increase the speed of resolving those chargebacks now there's a whole you know bunch of others um, that we can talk about but it'd be great if you could just touch or expand on some of those that i mentioned absolutely so i think the a good point of to start this would be the, that 80-20. Why are we seeing such a, a high amount of friendly fraud versus uh, traditional fraud? So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of technology that's, that merchants have put in place in the pre-transaction phase of the, of the um, transaction process to detect fraud. So there's a lot of uh, solutions, a lot of technology solutions that are also AI-based that um, help merchants identify potential fraud before the transaction is processed. So they're able to filter out a large segment of potential f- fraud um, because for various reasons, you know, the identity theft and it's you know obvious that somebody, a card in a uh, person in Toronto, for example, isn't making purchases in Tokyo, for example, and, and that card may be stolen. And th- those kinds of things get flagged by those kinds of systems that are sitting on the pre-transaction uh, space. And that's what, and those systems have been in place for quite some time and have gotten very, very good at detecting that kind of pre-transaction fraud. The challenge with friendly fraud is that it's the actual person that the card belongs to. So it's 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 not like a fraudulent transaction during that step. It's somebody that is that has their card and and does a legitimate transaction. So these fraud filters and these fraud engines or anti-fraud prevention engines won't detect that. They they will just let that through because it's that person who's making that transaction. It only happens on the post-transaction when that when that becomes an issue with chargebacks and that person decides, you know, the item didn't arrive, the item or, or the item, you know, was defective or for, it could be a million reasons, or they just decide that they don't want to pay for the item, which is most of the, the the occurrences, and then they initiate a chargeback with the with their financial institution, and at that point, that's when the merchant has to have some kind of solution in place to help mitigate that kind of issue. Is is basically have something that will prove to the financial institution that the item was sent, that the item was received, that it was as described, that um, that this this is essentially an illegitimate chargeback. Um, and then rule in favor of the uh, of the merchant. So that's kind of what's been happening over the years, and that's why we're probably seeing that skew towards the the friendly fraud side of things. And and with regards to the the different you know the verticals and the the, the different kinds of you know the the nature of the chargebacks that we're seeing, or or the the different amounts of chargebacks that we're seeing 
per vertical. I think it's, it's, it has a lot to do with the, with the nature of the products. And so when we're looking at, at these things, we're looking at almost on, almost on the, on the merchant level. It's like not even on the, on the industry level. We're looking at the, the specific merchant. But for, for, you know, for discussion's sake, for example, the, the nature of the product has a lot to do with the amount of chargeback that the merchants would receive. So, for example, for an apparel, which is a big segment in, in, in this space that we're seeing a lot of chargebacks in, a lot of the, a lot of the reason codes that we're, we're getting is, is not, not item not as described, which makes sense because you know, the, it's, it's in a garment that may not fit. And, and the, the person, instead of sorting it out with the, with the merchant, goes and, and, and initiates a, a dispute through their financial institution. And that's another issue that I think is, is being overlooked is recently it's becoming very, very easy for consumers to initiate chargebacks. If you, you know, pretty much every banking application allows you to go into your, you know, through your mobile, look at the transactions on your credit on your credit card, excuse me, and initiate and basically this start a dispute through the app and without even almost, you know, having to call anyone. And, you know, in the past, that's not, that wasn't the case. In the past, there was a whole process. There was, you know, you'd have to call your bank. You'd have to speak to a specific department. They would have to ask you a bunch of questions to kind of get your side of the story. And a lot of times they would stop those chargebacks because they would tell you, well, you know, if it doesn't fit, maybe you know, try contacting the con- try t- contacting the merchant, try resolving it through with, with the merchant, and try sorting it out. And so, a lot of those chargebacks were were being prevented on that level as well. And now that's that's become you know not the case. And there's a lot of you know the the ease of making chargebacks uh, for consumers has improved uh, um, significantly. And and the person the, the the people who are suffering from this are the merchants at the end of the day. So the credit card industry just not worry about that anymore because they just write it off. Well, it's 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 not so much the credit card industry. I mean, the credit card is just facilitating this, and this is again a misconception that a lot of consumers have is that they think, well, you know, it's the credit card will give me back my money, and, and they don't realize that a lot of the time, or all the time, really, is when a chargeback is initiated. All the credit card companies are doing is to taking the money back from the merchant and giving it back to the consumer. The consumer thinks it's just you know it's the bank or the the, the you know Visa or Mastercard that are kind of covering the cost. And so I think that's another excellent point that we 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 should discuss is the the consumer education of 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 you know the whole chargeback process. I don't think that a lot of consumers. Um, understand, you know, what happens when a dispute is initiated. Um, they only see is, you know, a transaction on their card, they dispute it, and at some point they get the money back. So for them, it's, you know, no big deal. It's they, they don't know where that money came from. They're not aware of any additional fees that the, the merchants have to pay. Um, you know, they're not really aware of what the impact on the merchant is. Yeah. One point I wanted to discuss was the win rate analysis. So, you know, why why is there a difference in win rate between industry verticals? For example, apparel, so clothes and travel, the win rate for a chargeback is quite high. So when I say win rate, that means in favor of the merchant. Right. 
but for electronics is low. And that's just some examples. Can you explain why that is the case? Yeah. So again, I think it's a lot to do with the product itself. So it's a lot easier to, to submit compelling evidence for certain items and certain types of products. And it's a lot harder to do for other items and other products or services even as well. So, so that's, that's really the, 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 the main issue is that when, when merchants, you know, uh, when we look at the, the reasons for the chargebacks across those verticals, it's typically, you know, not, not as described, which means the item, you know, didn't look right or didn't have the right color or didn't fit or anything like that and, and, um, or, or not received. And so, um, those are the two main, you know, the, the main reason codes, uh, for those, those verticals. And it's a lot easier to submit evidence well that that for the merchant side for those for those specific products and typically the 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 financial institutions will rule in in the merchants side of things if they submit the right evidence so that's that's probably the, the 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 main reason why those why you see such discrepancies across different verticals okay well i'm just trying to dig into that in my mind a bit so i'm just thinking the clothes versus electronics so I would imagine it would have been the other way around. So a piece of electronics can do X, Y, Z, and it's quite straightforward. Whereas clothes, if you say, well, it's not quite right, doesn't fit me properly, I'd say that's more ambiguous. So shouldn't it be the other way around? It should. But I think the the, the way that the financial institutions look at it is, is, you know, the merchant sold a garment or sold an item that has a certain fit on, and the person you know, didn't, didn't try it on. Obviously they, they, they didn't get a chance to, to, to look at the item before buying it, trying it on. And so I think it becomes, I guess, a question of how the financial institutions look at it and the type of evidence that's submitted. And I think, you know, the, the, that really comes into play when, when, when the decisioning is made. And I think that makes it a lot easier for those, for those. Again, it's hard to say because it's, you know, it's, it goes by case by case and a lot of times it varies. So it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to explain exactly why those, the, the reasoning for, for those kinds of win rates, but that's, that's the data that we see. Sure. And one final thing I want to pick on from the report before we sure. move on to talking about your solution was the different win rates for the transaction amounts. So mm. another thing I saw was that lower value transactions, so zero to a hundred dollars, have got a forty percent win rate for the merchant to to win that dispute. And then with the higher values, it goes down. So again, is that similar to the reasons we talked about earlier for the verticals? Yeah, I think I think it's a few different reasons. I think there's there's more scrutiny on the higher value transactions. I think both from the uh, merchant side and from the uh, financial institution side. So um, I think they're more likely to rule in favor of the merchant, um, assuming that the evidence is there um, and is compelling enough. 
um, especially if it's like you know a gray area. But it's like a small transaction. It's under, like you said, under you know thirty dollars or something like that. They, they you know, and, and the evidence is strong enough. They will rule towards the 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 merchant. I think when it got, comes to some of the larger volume, the larger transaction volumes, is the the bank will or the financial institutions will kind of put more scrutiny on the on the on the dispute and what would want to see a more rigorous evidence collected on the merchant side and submitted on their behalf to make sure that you know okay we're making the right decision in this case given that it's such a high amount um, you know this could have a, a big implication on the consumer side and at the end of the day a lot of these financial institutions are primarily working with the consumers they're that's that's their who their their customers are, and so it's it's always skewed towards the consumer. And if there's any kind of doubt, they will rule in in the consumer's favor. And and that's the and that's where it comes into kind of the higher amounts. Is is like I said, there's more scrutiny on those kinds of transactions. Sure, thank you. Okay, so let's move on to talking about the solution. And well, one of the first things I wanted to talk about right up front is that your business model is a hundred percent success based. So if a merchant chooses your solution, you charge a certain percentage of the recovery value in the dispute. Mm-hmm. And that means you're fully aligned with you know, your customers. And that's how you get to that four times ROI that I mentioned right at the, the start, of, start of the episode. And you've even got enterprise and special pricing for companies that have chargebacks more than 100 per month, right? Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of why we we built the company in this way. I think one of the one of the things that I do want to mention is the co-founders were e-commerce merchants themselves, and and that's kind of where this company idea came from. Is that they were you know in the in the cosmetics industry and they were dealing with these chargebacks and they didn't have a, they were looking for a solution that will address this problem and they really couldn't find one, so they had to build one in house and. You know, it really kind of solved a lot of the, the the problems. And when they told some of their friends who are also merchants, they kind of okay, well, let's try. You know, can we use your system because it sounds like you know it's doing what what we needed to do. And there's really wasn't anything like that available on the market. There's a lot of enterprise kind of you know big heavy enterprise solutions available to merchants, but there's really no solution for SMBs or or kind of some some of the smaller merchants that that I've mentioned. And so the 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 goal has always been to align ourselves with the the interests of the merchants. It's not just another platform fee where you pay us X amount of dollars per month or per transaction. We want to make sure that we only charge for the revenue that we recover for you. So there's two things. One, we're able to recover more than you would on your own. So we're already kind of improving the performance of, of the chargebacks. And again, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, there's a lot of costs associated with the overhead. So we're eliminating that for the merchant altogether. So they don't need to worry about hiring you know an in-house uh, uh, person to kind of an- analyze all the the transactions and 
submit the evidence and do all the manual work. We do all that for them automatically and the success rate is higher. So we kind of kill two birds with one stone and we only charge for, for that revenue that we require. And that, that kind of makes it a very, very strong selling point that, you know, there's no onboarding fee. There's no, you know, there's no kind of per transaction or per chargeback fee. There's no monthly licenses or anything like that. It's 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 100% success rate. And, and that's, that's kind of what we want to make sure that we're aligned with the 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 merchant and and so this way it's a win-win for both for both of us even after taking our commission and our our fee that rate is still higher than what the the win rate that they would they would generate with us is still higher than what they would on their own and again there's no overhead involved so they save a ton of money trying to fight these chargebacks i mean for an smb it would seem like a no-brainer completely because you're not going to have a team of people. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that line, the no-brainer, I mean, we hear that across every merchant that we talk to. It's like, well, this is a no-brainer. I mean, I don't have to you know, deal with, with, with you know, chargebacks and I recover more revenue at the end of the month and there's not much else I need to do here. So again, that's, that's really, I should probably put that on the website somewhere. It's, it's, it's a great line, but again, it's, it's, it's aligning with the merchant and, and, and making sure that both our, our solution and their needs are aligned. Yeah, that reminds me of something I read many years ago use your customer's language there was a story about how there was a guy selling dvd you could burn your pictures onto a dvd digital photos and it was a great service and uh, he just couldn't figure out why he wasn't selling people multiple copies and he'd put on his website you can buy duplicate dvds here you go and no one was buying them and then he decided to contact customers and ask them, well, why are you not buying duplicates? And they said, oh, we were looking for extra copies and we couldn't find them. And he just changed duplicates to copies and his sales just went vertical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's really a solution that, that merchants that, you know, as I said, you see the trends, they're going up. We're seeing much more chargebacks coming in. It's never been easier for a consumer to initiate a, a chargeback or a dispute with, with, with their financial institution. So it's only going to get worse. And so we want to make sure that we're addressing all of those pain points uh, without kind of charging, you know, an arm and a leg for that kind of service. Sure. A couple of aspects of your solution that I want to talk about. So I mentioned that it's based on AI and software, which is great. So two two main parts of your solution, I think. So charge response and charge score. So charge score actually enables forecasting chargeback success rates for the first time. So it'd be great for you to chat about that in a moment. And also for your charge response solution, is using smart algorithms and leveraging millions of data points to to help you know increase that win rate so it'd be great if you could chat about those two aspects of the solution yeah absolutely so I'll, I'll start with the charge response i think the industry is evolving in this direction is that the financial institutions that are reviewing these chargebacks are seeing you know they're they change the rules of what compelling evidence is is needed in order to successfully resolve a chargeback and it requires that it be compelling. That's what it's called, compelling evidence. And so we need to make sure that that the, the submitted evidence includes 
all the right information and present it in a very specific way. There's very specific templates that need to be um, built in order for the financial institution to rule um, in, in a positive favor. And that means that the the evidence has to be collected and presented in a certain way. And um, if it's not, that really kind of reduces your odds of winning that chargeback. And so that's a lot of things that you know merchants also struggle with is when they try to do their on their own, they're not really familiar with these nuances that of what you know what these institutions are looking for in the in the um, dispute evidence, and so they you know they throw stuff together into the into the template and and hope for the best, and that really doesn't doesn't work, especially given the volume that the, these institutions and chargebacks. That, it's that kind of like see. going to uh, defend yourself in court. Exactly, exactly. If you don't have the right evidence, you're going to lose the case. And, and even so, if you do, if you ask things the wrong way, it doesn't matter. Exactly, exactly. So you need to kind of be very, very careful in how you present your side of the story. And for example, you know, the item not received kind of reason card, it's like saying, well, I, you know, then chargeback was initiated because item wasn't received. But if you show, you know, a lot of the, you know, the shipping carriers nowadays, they take a picture of the item on the, on the porch or they take uh, a signature uh, upon receipt of the item, um, and that can be used as evidence. And so you ha- it's a matter of kind of collecting the, that information. And again, we collect you know thousands of different data points. Um, carrier information is is one of those data points. And so if you present that in properly in, in in that evidence case you can show that you know the item was indeed received here's a picture of it or here's the signature of the person who signed it at the residence and and it becomes a lot easier to win those cases and so but again a lot of merchants don't know that and or aren't including that kind of information they may include just like you know item received kind of from their CRM or something like that but they're not really including the 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 evidence that kind of shows and Point specifically, here's a signature, here's the picture of the item on the porch. It was clearly received, so this should be ruled in our favor. So that's really kind of the the the, the main thing. And we're always updating this this algorithm and the system is to collect more and more external signals from various other platforms and, and to make sure that the evidence submitted is robust enough that and, and accurate enough that it presents a compelling story in that it, it gets ruled in the favor of the merchant. Yeah, that algorithm must be one hell of a secret source you got there. Are there any data points that you use that you can talk about? Is it all top secret? It's it's kind of behind the scenes. The the as I mentioned, the the data from the carrier is is just one data point of many, and so you know that's really kind of you know there's like again there's hundreds if not thousands of different data points that that we can collect and that will help us win the case. And again, as you said, that's part of the secret sauce, and we keep those cards pretty close to the chest. Sure. Well, if we bring it back to the real world, I did see you you do also have a human element in certain cases. Is that correct? That's correct. So again, in in certain situations, the systems will flag it as kind of like, okay, we need to kind of enrich it. We need to have a human look at this this case specifically because it's missing something or, 
you know, it's a, it could be a high value item or, you know, there's, there's a, a few different reasons why a human would, would be, would get involved in that process. It's typically when there isn't, when the system essentially decides that it doesn't have enough evidence in place or, or it needs additional kind of guidance on the specific case as to what to do. So that's when a human analyst would come in, take a look at the case, review it. We're still not at that stage where AI, despite everybody's uh, kind of running towards that that uh, point, we're still not quite there. That you know everything is 100% AI and 100% automated. Um, humans are still involved in the process, and they still require you know the machines still need us for now. So thank God. Yep. <laughs> no, sure, that's fair enough. I did want to ask a bit about the competition. So obviously, you've got. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a small, medium business. So, okay, they've got no team. And on the other extreme, they've got your solution, which is great. I mean, there must be other solutions at the moment. Can you talk about some of those and some of their weaknesses? Yeah, there there are other solutions out there. I think a lot of them have different business models. I think that's kind of the main issue is that a lot of them are also geared towards more enterprise clients. So they have, you know, these are companies with you know hundreds of millions of dollars and they have entire in-house teams and analysts in place and a lot of these other solutions are essentially saying well instead of doing all this work in-house let us kind of outsource it to us and we'll handle it for you so a lot of these other competitors focus on on those kinds of markets on on more on the on the larger side of things one of the reasons why chargeflow again came into being was because the, the the co-founders were running an e-commerce business and couldn't find a solution that addressed SMBs essentially. So their the the goal was to provide an enterprise grade solution for SMBs and, and really there's very little competition in this in this space. There are other kind of you know Shopify apps here and there um, that kind of address this issue, but it's not really you know, they're not really doing it on the scale that we're doing it. They're not seeing as much data as we're seeing. And so um, we're able to provide a much higher win rate because we see so many transactions. We're, we're able to train our models in a way that makes them more effective. The more transactions, the more chargebacks that, that these models see, the more effective that they become in, in, in their winning. So for us, as we scale, our solution actually becomes more effective. So it's, it's part of kind of the, the, the great thing about AI is that, you know, it's all about the data that you have and how strong and, and how and, and the amount of the data that you're able to feed these algorithms, they become more effective. And that's, again, part of the, the human element in, in some of these training, training these models becomes also apparent is that our analysts are, are specialists in, in chargebacks. They understand kind of what the, the financial institutions want to see from a dispute and, and evidence, and they're able to train the models accordingly. And so that really kind of those two things together really help us improve or constantly improve our win rate. And so even as we onboard more merchants, the system actually becomes more effective. Yeah, that was my next topic, onboarding. So again, your website states you can get started literally in minutes. So I'd imagine that's another huge advantage of your competitors because it sounds if they're enterprise focused, it means long engagements. Yeah, absolutely. So 
a lot of times in, you know, as you can imagine with enterprises, everything does take a lot of time. There's a lot of development uh, resources that are required and a lot of development capital to integrate some of these, you know, some of these solutions to, to the enterprise uh, on the enterprise client side of things. What our goal is, is to build out as many native integrations to, to various uh, uh, payment processors and platforms that we can so that we reduce that, that time spent in implementing our solution. And so with regards to our current onboarding, it's really um, very, very simple. We have a ton of integrations to a ton of different uh, um, platforms, payment processors, e-commerce solutions. And it's really a matter of connecting those into our system. And again, that's really requires authorizing those systems. If you're on Shopify, it's just as easy as installing the Shopify or Shopify app. If you're on Stripe, it's easy as installing the, the, the Stripe app. And then you go from there and, and that's really all it takes. Once we are integrated into you know, your, your backend, it really becomes very, very simple and quick to for us to start reviewing chargebacks. We look kind of at some of the historical data and that really helps us to get a leg up kind of on the chargebacks going forward, and that that again part of the, the the value props that we're able to to offer merchants is that especially on the on the SMB side of things is that you know you don't have to you know there's no development capital required to integrate ChargeFlow. It's basically connect to our to, to your systems and we're up and running. That's great. I'd love to hear some customer success stories you've got, and also if you can, some nightmare scams or frauds that you found with your Skynet algorithm? Yeah. So with regards to success stories, what we're seeing is that one great example is is Wordtune. And Wordtune is a solution for almost like that helps people using, again, AI to write better copy or write better emails. And it essentially allows them to fix their their copy almost in real time. And what we found is that our solution was able to significantly reduce again the the overhead that they required in in fighting these chargebacks they're a subscription based service so a lot of their kinds of chargebacks were you know on the subscription renewal side of things and were able to you know submit the right evidence that's required to fight those chargebacks and help them win and we were able to i think 4x or 4.8 times there improve the the losses on their chargeback so that was a, a huge win for us and and for Wartoon specifically and and it's a, it's a great partnership that, that we're working together with them they're using our native stripe application so again there wasn't any kind of sophisticated overhead required to integrate chargeflow into their payment stack and they were up and running very quickly and we were able to kind of protect their revenue for them. And that's something that they're happy about. And obviously, we're, we're happy that they're succeeding. Great. That's a good story. And any major scams or frauds you found? Yeah, there is there is a lot. And what we're seeing is, I think, the the level of sophistication on, on some of these types of frauds. And again, this isn't friendly fraud. This is more on the actual, actual, fraud, fraud. actual fraud of things. We're seeing almost very sophisticated fraud rings and this is a big issue in 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 fraud prevention for e-commerce is kind of almost organized crime it's it's these are these are very skilled actors who are able to obfuscate their their kind of intention and get by through a lot of these fraud filters 
And there's a whole fraud economy happening and under the surface. There's, you know, on the dark net, there is even specialties in, in specific fraud. So there's people who are responsible for acquiring the credit cards. There's people who are responsible for doing the, the actual transactions. And then there's, you know, the, it's almost like a company. You know? But if you think about it, it, it's like very specialized roles within these rings. And they're able to, to, to kind of, again, be very, very clever with how they, you know, with, with their attack vectors. And a lot of times these, these aren't um, seen by the fraud filters that I discussed earlier, but they're a lot more visible kind of after the fact on the post-transaction side of things. So we're able to pick up on those things and, and kind of address those as actual fraud and, 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 um, alert the merchant, obviously, that, that, you know, this has taken place. But it's becoming a real, real problem for e-commerce merchants is, is the level of sophistications from some of these fraudsters. Yeah, it got me thinking recently because I've seen so much more as you have and everyone listening has about fraud just going through the roof. Got me thinking whether you might start seeing click and collect only e-commerce operations and eventually you might have to actually go to a bank to prove you're real because <laughs> you've got synthetic IDs and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's a ton of different solutions available now and and around, you know, KYC, know your customer, and that's becoming a major, a major aspect of kind of the way that e-commerce businesses do, do business online. They want to know who they're selling to and if that person is the right person making that transaction. And as I said, friendly fraud is a lot harder to, to, to address in these cases because it is that person. It's, it's this person, you know, it, it will get by all the KYC filters. It will get by all the, all the, the, the fraud prevention filters. And it's still, you know, the, the merchant will still suffer from those chargebacks. So it's, it's a tough nut to crack. And as we get through, you know, as we improve our technology, you know, it, it, we, we hope that we'll able to address some of these these problems. On the fraud side of things, it does seem that, as you said, it's it's becoming a lot more sophisticated. And, you know, these solutions is essentially a cat and mouse game. I've, I've, you know, in the past, I've worked at one of these kinds of solutions. And, you know, whenever we would come up with something, fraudsters would find a way around it. So it's Fraud isn't going to go away. There's always going to be some other attack vector that's going to come up, and that uh, merchants kind of have to stay vigilant. And these, you know, the, the, both on the pre-transaction and post-transaction side of things, the the solutions will have to kind of stay sharp and stay up to date, and continue to innovate and continue to improve their capabilities. You must have so many cool stories, crime, and all that kind of stuff in your company. Have you got? Do you publish any of these on a blog or anywhere, or have you got a podcast or anything where people can find out about it? Because I'm sure it could turn into a, a mini Netflix series at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually co-own a small publication called uh, Merchant Fraud Journal that covers a lot of this information. And my partner and, and editor is basically running it day to day. He runs a podcast called To Catch a Fraudster, and it's basically. Yes, it's, it's stories from solution providers in this space, and they discuss all these different attack vectors that they've experienced. And a lot of times, it's it's pretty wild stuff. It's really, like you said, it can come up with with its own little mini series. But 
The, the podcast is called Catch a Fraudster, and you can check it out. Bradley Chalupski is the host of that podcast, and he hosts all these various technology solutions that are in the fraud prevention space. And they talk about this, and it's really, really wild stuff that some of the some of the frauds that that these companies have come across and and how they address them. So highly recommend it. Fantastic. I will definitely be listening to that. Thanks for that. Sure. Almost at the end. Uh, one thing I did want to ask you, is there anything that you wanted to get across to any business owner or sales director listening that maybe I've completely missed and that you felt it's important to get across? Yeah, I think I think that there's a, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of customers that we speak to at first kind of chalk up chargebacks to the cost of doing business. And it doesn't have to be like that. And, and we've, you know, talked to, you know, thousands of you know customers and merchants and a lot of times they're like well you know it's, it's a twenty dollar thirty dollar transactions i'm just going to write this off it really doesn't have to be that way there there really there are solutions and you know twenty dollars here thirty dollars there that quickly adds up and you really need to kind of address that and even one dollar shouldn't be going to an illegitimate chargeback that's the main takeaway and I think that's something that a lot of you know merchants aren't really aware of and you know they may fight some of these you know the larger transactions and try to dispute those on their own but at the end of the day if they're not looking at it kind of holistically and as as kind of one big problem and addressing every single chargeback that they get they're essentially leaving money on the table and and given how razor thin margins are on on e-commerce you know every every dollar counts and if you could improve your your you know net margin by you know half a point one point that's huge you know and 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 that adds up and again that's something that i i, I do want to get across is chargebacks should never be the cost of doing business online it should not be a barrier to to doing business merchants should not be afraid of 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 this and they should be kind of going after every single dollar that they can yeah it's like the the broken windows paper that talked about the importance of going after petty crime it's critical exactly yeah excellent what are your company's biggest goals right now and in 2024 and and can people meet you guys in any conferences or anything coming up yeah absolutely so our goal is to continue kind of our 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 operation just continue scaling that at the at the pace that we've been doing up to now if not more and you know we're you can speak to us on our website chargeflow.io we will also be at at shop talk 2024 in las vegas next month we'll be happy to speak with anyone who's attending and basically anyone who wants to talk to us or our door is open happy to jump on a call and showcase our solution demo what we can do show basically how much ROI we can we can bring them and you know it's it's again like you said it's a no-brainer but a lot of times people want to see it for themselves so we'll have we're happy to show that and you know our, our sales team will be more than happy to showcase the solution and showcase the benefits great stuff and once again it's chargeflow.io and on twitter you guys are at chargeflowhq Correct. so thanks for that and i want to finish on a fun point just would love to know what you're reading or watching or listening to at the moment. Doesn't have to be 
anything related to tech or business? Sure, absolutely. So I'm actually listening to to your podcast, but to additional podcast, I'm listening to the, the Acquired uh, podcast. I really love those guys. They kind of talk about the histories of various companies out there. And it's not just kind of, you know, it's big companies, it's Costco, Amazon, LVMH. It's really the history of those companies, how they started. And it's fascinating stuff. Podcasts are, you know, the, the, the episodes are usually three, four hours long, but it's riveting. And I'm, you know, I'm, I love business. I love e-commerce. I love kind of hearing and learning about how these companies came to be and, and, you know, how, you know, how did Amazon get to where they are now? And kind of, they do a lot of research into what happened behind the scenes and, and, and it's fascinating stuff and, and it's riveting. I, I really enjoy listening to them every opportunity that I can and highly, highly recommend everybody to try them out. Great. I think my brother listens to that. I haven't got round to it myself yet because they are quite long, as you mentioned. Yeah, um, but I'm it's sure well worth it. Well worth it. Maybe next time I'm on a long flight to Australia, I'll listen to an episode. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm reading. I'm reading Limitless at the moment by Jim Quick. Not sure if you heard of that book. I have not. I'll have to check it out. So it's all about improving your memory and learning, etc. Becoming speed reader and all that good stuff. And I'm surprised how much or how many great tips I've learned from that book. So yeah, helpful when you're reading a lot like me. So I'll have to check it out. Same here. Yeah, it's I've, a very good book. I go through a ton of reports, a ton of, uh, um, you know, a ton of uh, information that within this industry and in general would yep. love to be able to kind of pull in more than and in less time. That would be great. I'll have to check out that book. I'd highly recommend that. And if you don't have time, Try out a Chrome extension called Bionic Reading. Have you heard of that? I have not. I, I have not. So I saw it about a year or so ago. It's really good. So the idea being that because we can recognize words at a, at a how to describe it, at a higher level, you don't have to read them, but you can just sort of see them is the best way of mm -hmm. describing it. And what it does is it make, makes the front part of each word dark and the back half of each word light. And the idea being that because your brain, after reading half of a word, knows what it is, you don't have to read the other half. It completes it for you, basically. And it, Yeah, your brain, your brain does. Your brain yeah. does. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic. So I've been... I used it for a bit. I thought it was cool. And then I stopped using it because I think the browser link, browser extension disappeared. But I reinstalled it again today because I had to read a very boring white paper style piece of text. And it's very good. So I'd definitely check it out. Will do. Will do. What's it called again? It's called Bionic Reading. Bionic Reading. I'll have to. I made a note. It's fantastic. Will do. So thanks a lot, Dan. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you so I much for having me. I wish you all the best. And if you IPO, give me a heads up. I will. I will. <laughs> give me an insider trade. So yeah, all the best to you and, and good luck at your event that's coming up next month. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and taking the time. Thanks.